0: Terrorists and Sharia law are closer than you think. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol Lieberman, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Well, today we're going to be talking about some um, interesting and mildly disturbing, that's uh, actually more than mildly disturbing, um, topics or, or information Um, about what is happening. You know, October 7th, the Hamas attack of Israel brought terrorism more into the consciousness of people, particularly Americans, who otherwise are in denial and, um, and have convinced themselves, many Americans have convinced themselves that another 9-11 isn't going to happen again, that we don't really have to worry about terrorists, that this is just an over-exaggeration of what the problem is, et cetera. But um, this attack on Israel has not only brought out more awareness of terrorism, it has also brought out more awareness of anti-Semitism and anti-Israel sentiment but we are all Israel. This is still not clear. You know, people are more, you know, the word terrorists or terrorism is more uh, frequently used these days, but there is such an ignorance, such an information gap, such an awareness gap amongst people as to what terrorists really have have done already and have in mind for the future. So today we're gonna be talking about that. Now also Americans, many Americans are in denial. They think that only Israel and Jews need to worry. But in fact, it's global jihad and global Sharia law that terrorists have been planning to um, perpetrate for over a thousand years. So now it's actually psychologically, it makes people feel better to think that it's only Israel and only Jewish people who have this problem, but, uh, and to think that they're safe. You know, if they're not in Israel and they're not Jewish, but that couldn't be furthest from the truth. Um, So, today we're going to be talking about three different aspects of this. First of all, we're going to be talking about some examples of how barbaric Hamas and terrorists in general are. Then, we're going to be looking at two examples of how uh, terrorists have already taken over countries in Europe. Um, And have already been enacting, pushing, um, have varying degrees of success in already implementing Sharia law in these countries. Now, you know, if you've been listening to my uh, podcast that I talk about a lot, how Europe, notably um, Britain, Germany, France uh, and Belgium, they are already invaded by radical Islamist uh, migrants from ma- radical Islamist countries. And say, so they are already seeing the impact of terrorism on their society. And um, and I, the reason why I, I frequently uh, bring up European countries is because Americans need to look at that to see their butt for, you know, a few weeks, a few months, maybe a few years, there go I. In other words, they are planning to come here and they're already here. You know, I've been saying for years, they're planning to come here. You better pay attention, blah, blah, blah. But they are already here. There are sleeper cells in America. And I'm gonna be talking more about that, um, the danger that we're in, uh, in the third segment. So, So let's start. So we're starting first with the barbarism. Um, One example, recent example of the barbarism of terrorists is how Hamas um, tried to sell one of the heads that they decapitated, an Israeli head, an Israeli's head for $10,000. Now, this all comes from, as I've mentioned before, the Quran, where there is a quote that says, when you meet the unbelievers, strike their necks. Now that is why so many uh, their enemies, you know, one of the first things that they do um, is to is to behead them. Now, um, there was a an Israeli uh, soldier, Sergeant Adir Tahar, nineteen years old from Jerusalem. He was murdered by terrorists after they threw grenades at him as they rampaged through southern israel and killed 1200 israelis in a massacre so after they um they killed him they then took him to gaza and they decapitated him and they put the, his head up for sale on 10 for $10,000 and his father saw this well saw saw his body saw that he was um killed online. So um, his his father, his heartbroken father is David Tahar and he has been forced to bury his son's mutilated body because according to Jewish law, you only have a certain amount of time after someone dies to bury them. So the father is committed, however, to bringing his son's head home. And um, the way they they discovered the head was after two and a half months, IDF soldiers finally found his head inside a duffel bag filled with tennis balls in a a freezer in Gaza. A duffel bag filled with tennis balls in a freezer in Gaza. I mean, put that together. It, it, like, it, It's hard to get your head around it. These things don't usually go together. Um, so, and then that's when they interrogated two Hamas terrorists, and they found out that one of them had tried to sell the head for $10,000. I guess they didn't find a buyer yet. And um, the father had seen his son's decapitated body online. I mean, imagine that you imagine seeing your child's decapitated body online. Um, So he, the father opened his son's coffin shortly before he was buried. And he saw that not only was he decapitated, but his body had been punctured by shrapnel. I mean, this is not an isolated incident as you know, uh, or have heard, and yes, this is the truth. Hamas terrorists tortured Israelis in all different ways, some sexual, um, you know, their their private parts, some all different kinds of ways, because all for Allah, because they believed that the more that they tortured, not only killed, but before killing, tortured Israelis, the more Allah would appreciate them. So um the father said, half an hour before I buried my child, his body arrived at Mount Herzl. I opened the coffin when I was alone. I understood then what I was burying. He was unrecognizable. And the way they recognized him or identified him was by his soldier dog tags and DNA. Um, and the father said, when I buried a deer, I knew I was burying my child without an essential part of him, his head. Then the journey began to search for that missing part. So his father is still on a quest to get his son's head back, which presumably will happen um, because the IDF soldiers presumably brought it back with them. Okay, as if that is not gross enough and barbaric enough, let me tell you another example. Um, As you know, uh, pro-Palestinian and pro-Hamas protesters um, are all over the place, not only in America, but in various countries. Um, you've probably seen them in London, for example, um, all over. And um, they, you know, of course, um, this is where an example of how I was saying that they are so ignorant. Um, you know, these some of these protesters, uh, especially the LGBTQ+, plus, have no clue that if they were in a Middle Eastern um, country, they would be killed in an instant because um, they, it's, it's against Islamic law to the um, LGBTQ+. And the other people too don't have a clue. We are all Israel. The terrorists and, and with their Sharia law um, are just outside our gates. Okay, so getting back to New York, um there for these there were there were protests um in new york um particularly there was this one called flood manhattan for gaza and so thousands of pro-palestinian and pro hamas protesters swarmed a new york city cancer hospital uh, memorial sloan kettering it is a very famous cancer hospital and um they they actually had marched from, um, from lower Manhattan to all the way up to the Upper East Side and where this hospital is. And they, um, they, they were shouting at the hospital, shouting at the people in the hospital. In fact, um, they were demanding a ceasefire and they were shouting things like shame. Now this is to patients. In fact, they were saying shout louder so the patients can hear us um and so they they and they also were yelling complicity in genocide now they were the reason why they picked um this sloan kettering cancer hospital besides the fact that they are trying to go ever lower you know to um to do more and more barbaric things to outrage us to shock us but also it's because this hospital gets a lot of or has a lot of um Zionist donors, people who love Israel and who are rich and who can and did uh, donate to the hospital. Um, they were they were yelling to make sure that the the patients could hear them, and they were accusing these patients as in complicity in genocide. Now another reason why, and the hospital also has um, a pediatric day hospital, and they said, make sure they hear you. They're in the windows. I mean, you know, can you imagine this? patients who are dying um, or fearing at least that they are dying. And many of course do die of cancer. And, you know, after they become patients, I um, mean, it's a good hospital, but they can't save everybody. So these people who were in a devastated state already a fearful state already um, about their own demise, now have, have were were tortured <laughs> um, emotionally by um, by these protesters. Now, um, so, for example, the, I was saying the the hospital got, um, as an example, they got a $400 million donation from billionaire Zionist Ken Griffin. That's the largest donation that they've ever gotten. And this was, um, he had also been involved in threatening pro-Palestine student activists at Harvard with revoked job offers. So, um, and he condemned the protesters and so on. Um, so that was one part of it. The other reason why they were uh, angry at this hospital was because the hospital donates money to a hospital in Israel, to help a hospital in Israel. So they get donations and they and they give donations uh, and it's all related in some way to Israel. So, um, so let me tell you, um, in connection with this, there was a 74 year old Jewish resident who um, said, quote, I thought I was in Germany in 1939. That was the year that Nazi Germany invaded Poland to spur on World War II. Quote, I'm astounded, I think it's horrific. And she was saying that she was terrified. Um, The former NHL player Colby Cohn wrote, um, if you quote, if you are wondering what scum of the earth looks like, it's these people harassing and yelling at children at Sloan Kettering getting cancer treatments. Hard to fathom, there are adults that condone and support that type of behavior, Unquote. Quote, protesting at Memorial Sloan Kettering is the PLO playbook, like the Munich Olympics without the violence yet. They want attention and are 100% okay if it is negative, because they know that they will find sympathy among certain audiences, no matter how provocatively they behave. So let's see. Oh, yes, they had marched from, these protesters had marched from Union Square, which is downtown, lower Manhattan, to Gracie Mansion, which is uptown, upper Manhattan. And they were targeting both a McDonald's and a Starbucks um, along the way, because they were claiming that both of these companies are cooking, quote, meals for genocide, unquote. Um, okay. Now, just to remind you, there were 140 hostages taken on October 7th uh, by Hamas, which as leverage in this war. And um, There was a temporary ceasefire from November 24th until November 30th, which was later extended until November 31st. Now, that was uh, Biden was trying to, you know, get Israel to uh, have a ceasefire. I mean, lots of people were trying to get Israel to have a ceasefire, but America was putting pressure on Israel to do it. And Israel didn't want to have a ceasefire, but they agreed to this one that lasted about a week. Um... Because the reason why they didn't want it was because during that time, not only Hamas, but all of the countries uh, who hate Israel surrounding Israel had time to gear up again, get more weapons and and so on, get ready to attack again. Um, there were one hundred and ten hostages that were released during that time frame, and these were mostly through a Qatar um, Cutter, however you want to pronounce it, mediated deal between Hamas and Israel, and some were released as part of a separate deal with Thailand, and two as a gesture to Russian President Vladimir Putin, because there were there were Thai people who were captured as well, and then of course there are varying estimates of twelve hundred who were killed, twelve hundred Israelis who were killed. Well, all right, Um, that is the. That is the um, barbarism part of the of today's podcast. Um, I hope you I hope I made the point. You can see what these people are like. And the reason why I started with that is because, um, you know, looking at the fact that they are at our doorstep, this is obviously a um, problem that we all should be concerned about every day. I'm not saying we should um, hide under our covers, but we need to do Things to address this, including um, electing people who are going to address it. Not let more terrorists in through our southern border. Okay, well, we need to go to the. We need to take a break, and in the next, the next segment will be about the terrorists, the um, ra- migrants in Europe ra- from ma- from radical Islamist countries who are already perpetrating uh, Sharia law. So stay tuned. welcome back to the terrorist therapist show where we're talking today about terrorists and sharia law are closer than you think so in this second segment um i'm going to be telling you some some stories about what it happened what what has happened already in germany and in britain and um in terms of the um progress <laughs> of um, radical Islamist Muslims, well, migrants, who um, are taking over these countries and who therefore, you know, strengthen numbers, um, are, the, are therefore able to try to get um, to get Sharia law enacted. Now these stories that I'm gonna tell you are especially related to schools in Germany and in uh England, in, in Britain. Um, and which of course is, is you know, super important because uh, I've talked about the, how our schools in America have turned into madrasas. You know, madrassas are schools, usually in radical Islamist countries um, that teach children to become terrorists. And that is basically what is happening in American schools. But now let's look at um, European schools and see what's happening there. Okay, first of all, in Germany, um, a Muslim migrant TikTok star. All this <laughs> TikTok is such an important player here, unfortunately, because so many people uh, go to TikTok for their news and they get lies. I mean, there's there are lies in all social media, but TikTok is the worst uh, because, of course, it's not a coincidence because China. Uh, um, Communist China is using this as a weapon of mental destruction, destruction, psychological destruction. Anyhow, in in Germany, a Muslim migrant TikTok star says, quote, soon we will we will bring Sharia law to Germany. Now, this radical Islamist TikTok star uh, was saying we are, quote, we are taking over your your West. (coughs) His name is Breezy Durdan El Jeffy. And um, he goes on live stream on TikTok. And he said, quote, soon we will bring Sharia law to Germany. There are so many of us here already. After Germany, it's Austria's turn. For anyone who doesn't take part in Sharia law, uh, his word is mustard gas, mustard gas. To kill the people, the infidels. I mean, that's the that's the uh, long-standing theme. Okay. Um, now he has fifty thousand followers, and some of his videos reach six-figure views. He's a Muslim, thirty-one years old. He comes from Turkey and lives in Tenerife. Uh, he's well received by parts of the young Muslim community, and his videos um, are widely reposted. And he said, quote, you Germans behave yourselves. Otherwise, I'll just say one word mustard gas. And he speaks about other violence also to threaten the Germans. Quote, we will make sure that Germany goes down the drain. There are so many of us here already. After Germany, it's Austria's turn. And then he he brags about, um, sometimes he reports he's in Tenerife and he brags, nobody can do anything to me. You can either, you can neither, denaturalize me nor deport me. I have dual citizenship. And then he talks about, I went on vacation on taxpayers back and registered as unemployed in Germany. So in other words, this is what the migrants do. They register like that. They don't have any money. They're unemployed. And then they get social services and they use that money for whatever, (laughs) such as taking vacations in Tenerife. Okay. Now here's another um, story from Germany. High school students act as Sharia police, pressuring other Muslims who don't obey it strictly. Um, Not only are they pushing Sharia law on other Muslims, but they're also pushing it on non-Muslim students. And this is in Neuss. I'm not sure, Neuss, I'm just guessing that that's how you pronounce it in Germany. I think it is though. Um, I've been to Germany. (laughs) Um, Okay, So Muslims in um, schools are trying to enforce Sharia law. In particular, there's this story about four students who are said to have acted as Sharia police. They are between the ages of 17 and 19, and they publicly speak out in favor of Sharia law, and they put pressure on Muslim students who had different opinions, who didn't want to follow Sharia law as strictly. So the students demanded for one thing uh, from their classmates and teachers that all women at school must wear a headscarf, a scarf. Um, all women, so they're not just saying all Muslims have to wear hijabs, um, but all students, even if they're not um, Islamist. He also said that um, it demanded, they also, these four, uh, demanded that there be a prayer room established and an early end to school on Fridays for Muslim prayer time and gender segregation at school, especially during swimming lessons. Um, You know, they were exerting this pressure, especially on on Muslim students who they felt were not good Muslims. Um, Now the the school's management contacted the state security agency, but the public prosecutor's office was unable to find any criminal offenses in the student's behavior. Only one of the four students was briefly excused from class. They don't want to say, uh, um expelled or or um you know briefly excused um this is the this is the problem that there are so many radical islamist um migrants in these your Euro- western european countries and also it's not just western european anymore sweden i mean there are some other countries also that have be- been inundated and so They are afraid of being called Islamophobic and having riots. You know, just recently, um, there were riots in France. Uh, I did a podcast on this. You might want to go back and look that up. It it was a really interesting and tragic situation where I talked about the story of a, um, a Muslim teenager who was driving a car. In um in France, and uh, a, a policeman saw that the car was being driven erratically, and he stopped this teenager, um you know to to ask him what he was doing or ask him if he was okay or you know to give him a ticket probably, uh to, I mean to see what he had to say for himself and then potentially give him a ticket. Well, um, accidentally he was he had a gun. The policeman had a gun. And um, he wasn't aiming it at this teenager originally, but the teenager um, stepped on the gas when the um, policeman tried to stop him. He stepped on the gas and that moved the gun that the policeman had and uh, it ended up shooting the teenager. Well, that was enough of a, it's kind of like what happened on October 7th. You know, you have an an incident. Well, that was <laughs> October seventh was a little a little more serious, but I mean, this is one person, and that was like twelve hundred plus. Um, but um, you know, it like everybody is so not everybody. There are people who are so ready, just looking for an excuse to uh, erupt, and um, in a radical Islamist way. <laughs> and um and so when when this happened when this incident happened um you know that erupted all the migrants all the radical islamist migrants in in france well, i don't know all 100% but most of it seemed like all they were all in sympathy in any case not all of them um you know set fire to to towns and and uh, uh turned cars cars upside down and did all kinds of violent stuff uh looting of course um but, um, you know, so that was there, that just, it was like it lit a fire that was there. And, um, you know, the anger that was, that was there. And so it's really serious because again, he wasn't just asking that all Muslims do this. He was asking that all women do this. And then also the other things, the prayer room and everything else. Um, there's this, you know, some people have said, that pretty soon non-Muslim Germans might be flogged or even executed for daring to drink beer or for eating pork cutlet, schnitzel, or pork pork sausages because, you know, pork and beer are against um, Islamist law. Okay, now let me tell you about England, the school in England. This is an interesting story, too, um, in Britain. Britain's This this involves Britain's strictest head teacher. I was forced to stop Muslim prayers after teachers were being harassed, were racially harassed. So there is this first of all, there's this school in Britain called the Michaela Community School. And it is very it is a very well-respected school. It gets top grades, gets the students to get top grades. Um, and the head of the school is named Catherine Verbal (laughs) or words to that effect. Um, Verbal yes, that looks what it is. Um, now she, so after the, the teachers were being racially harassed, and so she had to ban Muslim prayers. Now, needless to say, this was not popular, and, um, one student was used as sort of the spokesperson um for these people who weren't happy with her banning the prayers. And they she this student filed a um lawsuit against her. I mean clearly she was backed by radical uh Islamist groups, you know, this little girl she <laughs> didn't do this on her own. Um and um And I will tell you more about that. But now this this teacher, I will, I will call her Catherine so I don't have to keep tripping over her last name. Um, She was the school leader, and she is known as Britain's strictest head teacher. And so she the student um, is caused brought her before a high court, and she is being challenged by a Muslim pupil over this banning of the prayers. Um, So the teacher, again, who is very well respected, um, warned that, quote, multiculturalism can only succeed, unquote, when every group makes sacrifices for, quote, the sake of the whole. Um, She, it's not only this teacher who put enacted the ban, but the school's governing body, you know, she spoke to the school's governing altogether. She and the school governing body decided to stop prayer rituals when some pupils started them, quote, against a backdrop of events, including violence, intimidation, and appalling racial harassment of our teachers, unquote. So uh, so they can't name the pupil, of course they protect the pupil, (laughs) but they named the teacher. Um, which is actually very dangerous because you know what has happened in France. There are teachers who have been killed uh, because people have decided they didn't like the way the teacher talked about Muhammad. Um, so let's see. So now this school is really, as I said, really uh, respected because of its, how, how high performing it is. It's a state school. It's in Brent, which is in Northwest London. It has around 700 pupils, about half of whom are Muslim. It's known for its strict approach to discipline, like in general, not just about banning the prayer, but in general, because they, they um, for example, they insist upon silence in corridors and they ban smartphones. So it's not just about banning um, Islamist prayer. You know, they are, are generally are very strict because they want their students to get very high grades on these um, national tests. Um, so the, the, it was, um, when they were at the high court, um, the school said that they took the action on these prayers because of concerns about a quote culture shift over segregation between religious groups and intimidation within the group of Muslim pupils. You know, intimidating the the teachers and the and and the pupils. Um, so now, a representative for the school trust said um, that the school's actions were based on teachers' conversations with pupils over certain incidents. For example, they heard about a Muslim girl who had dropped out of the school choir because she told it was Haram, which means forbidden in Islamist beliefs. Um, so in other words, they were intimidating Muslims as well as non-Muslims. And this girl, as an example, felt so intimidated that she dropped out of choir because, you know, because they were telling her, how could you do this? This is haram." Um, A number of children had been told that they were bad Muslims for not praying and they had begun to pray. Um, I mean, you know, that's OK if you want to pray, but you shouldn't be intimidated into praying. The school um, is exceptionally successful. There are a lot of pupils who try to get into it, you know, um, that they can't take anywhere near the number of students who want to get into this school. And they um, aggressively promote integration. In other words, they try to integrate all the different cultures and religions and so on. Um, And they have quote, ultra strict enforcement of prescribed behavioral rules. So when the teacher um, banned the prayers, she, quote, restored calm and order to the school. Quote, we have always been clear to parents and pupils that when they apply to Michaela, that's the name of the school, um, because of our restrictive building combined with our strict ethos that does not allow children to wander around the school unsupervised. We cannot have a prayer room we believe it's wrong to separate children according to religion or race and that it's our duty to protect all of our children and provide them with an environment which is free from bullying intimidation or harassment now this school McKella school was ranked uh, top in the country last year for quote progress eight unquote which means that that's a measure of how much a secondary school has helped pupils improve since primary school. So it was the top of the country. Um, And so she said, the teacher said that to achieve these kinds of results, the school quote must be a place where children buy into something they all share and that is bigger than themselves, our country. Now, this is what we need in America (laughs) where students, I mean, in our schools, students are being, um, it's the same kind of thing uh, not necessarily Sharia law yet. Well, actually there are some schools where uh, there have been these kinds of um, debates um, and issues. But um, but the thing is that um, we need students to, instead of like CRT, for example, uh, critical race theory, which segregates students and, and teaches that um, white people, white students, white people, are um, the oppressors and black people are the oppressed. And of course, well, what do you think happens with that? You get the kids to hate each other and to look at each other based upon the color of their skin, not upon who, who they are, how friendly they are, um, you know, and that kind of thing. So, so the way that this started is, um, and this is before October 7th, before the Hamas invasion of Israel, Um, about 30 pupils began praying in the school's yard, which was wet and dirty. This was in March of 2023. And they used blazers to kneel on because they weren't permitted to bring in prayer mats. And so then the school was targeted on social media. There were threats of violence, abuse. There were um, false allegations of Islamophobia and a bomb hoax. So um let's see. The, there were MPs who expressed support for this teacher and for the school. And I'll just read you a little bit of her um, of her statement. She gave a statement to the to the court. Uh, you know, this is such we should we should be having teachers doing this and schools doing this. Quote our pup- our pupils achieve superb exam grades, including the highest ever recorded progress at the GCSE level in a state funded school, you know, not a private school uh, or what they call a public school, um, which helped them win places at some of the best universities in the world. We are extremely proud of what we do to transform the lives of young people, many of whom are from disadvantaged backgrounds. We have a large number of Muslim pupils, their positive experiences have helped grow the number of the mu- grow, the number of Muslim pupils at the school by 50%, because when, you know, other Muslims see how well their, their, um, their friends or family members are doing, you know, and how well they score on these tests and how they get into great universities and so on, then they wanna come too. Uh, and then she said, my own grandmother was Muslim. But the governing body had to take the decision to stop prayer rituals when some pupils started them against a backdrop of events including violence, intimidation, and appalling racial harassment of our teachers. Our decision restored calm and order to the school. So in other words, when once the ban was in, um, there was calm and order. now she um she said, those from all religions make sacrifices so that we can maintain a safe secular community. Some Jehovah's Witness families have objected to Macbeth being taught. Some Christian families have asked that we do not hold our revision sessions on Sundays. Some Hindu families have objected to dinner plates touching eggs and our, and our Muslim families have signed up to the school knowing that we do not have a prayer room. We all need vegetarian food so that we can break bread together at lunch. We believe it is wrong to separate children according to religion or race and that it is our duty to protect all our children. Now, she said also our children, whatever their background, are British. I mean, that is what we need in America. This is a model that we should have. All right. Well, now we'll go. I'm going to take a break, another break, and we're going to be going into our third segment, in which um, I will be talking about uh, two two other significant things that are happening, and related to <laughs> related to today's topic. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the terrorist therapist show where we're talking about terrorists and Sharia law are closer than you think. Now in this segment I'm going to be talking about um, actually the first thing is a little scary the second thing (laughs) is somewhat uh, well is somewhat um, comforting in a strange way comforting in terms of Providing the truth in case there are still people, which I know that there are, uh, who question the truth. So, okay, the first part is that um, American officials are warning that Hezbollah could strike inside America. Now, as you know, as I've talked about before, of course, nothing happens when they make these warnings. You know, it goes over, um, goes over the heads of Americans. Americans don't want to hear it. And so, um, and I say Americans, I don't mean every single American, but too many Americans is really what I mean, because I want people to wake up. Um, okay, so, you know, so there have been, uh, I mean, there have been various people, people from the Department of Defense, um, people who have spoken out and said, yes, we are we are more in danger, we are in significant danger of terror attacks, and we are more in danger of terror attacks than we have been. I mean, and I always say, I've been saying for years now, that we are more in danger of terror attacks than we were for 9-11. So um, of course nobody wants to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to have to say it, but, um, but there is a reason, you know, and that is that we need to start getting ready. So um, now, okay, but in general, the reason why this is sort of news is that, I mean, you know, um, when when authorities uh, like the Department of Defense and so on have spoken out before, they either talk about terrorists in general or they talk about ISIS or Al-Qaeda typically, but this is a a statement that has come out just recently regarding Hezbollah. So, So, so American intel officials are warning of the risk now specifically of Hezbollah attacking the US. And this is what they are saying quote, US officials assess that there's a rising risk. Lebanese Hezbollah militants will strike Americans in the Middle East, and even potentially hit inside the United States. Now, um, as you may know, you know, as besides Hamas attacking Israel, there has been and still is word that um, it may spread to Lebanon and to Hezbollah. In fact, it is it has actually already spread there, but um, not to the uh, extent that the Hamas attack was in Israel, but there are there is warfare there are. bombings and and firings and you know there are things going across the border to lebanon but by, by, um, both ways from israel to lebanon and lebanon to israel um hit by hezbollah so um now hezbollah is an iran-backed militant group just like hamas in fact iran is the number one state sponsor of terrorism throughout the world and particularly in the middle east and um So, you know, they in other words, they attack Israel and they um, attack um, U.S. personnel and so on through these proxies. So it's you know, they can say, well, it's not Iran because, you know, if Iran actually attacks Israel, although to be honest, I am not sure with the Obama Biden White House, but um, the U.S. is supposed to be an ally of Italy, of of Italy. It is an ally of Italy. The US is supposed to be an ally of Israel. And if Iran attacked Israel, that would theoretically start World War III. Um, I only hesitate because um, Obama loves Iran. And so I don't know whether he would um, actually stand behind Israel or not. Of course, it's not just Israel. As I've been saying, we are all Israel. Um they're, in fact, as as this as these uh, officials are now warning, um, you know, warning that Hezbollah is going to attack the u s um, including the u s. personnel in the Middle East and um att- and which is really basically happening already, and attacks on u s. troops or diplomatic personnel overseas. You know, in other words, Americans who are in the Middle East are in danger and and have been. I mean, there are there are these attacks um, not by Hezbollah, but by. Well, I guess Hezbollah could be included, but like the Houthis <laughs> and there are all these ships, attacks on ships. It's very complicated because people, everybody's attacking everybody. But anyway, getting back to Hezbollah and this current um, statement that Hezbollah could strike inside America. Um. The chance for an assault on US soil is also growing. Uh, quote, Hezbollah could draw on the capability they have to put people in places to do something. Um, you know, referring to attacking America. It is something to be worried about. <laughs> it is something to be worried about. What are they doing about it? Um, now, the reason why this is you know, somewhat more significant is that they have capabilities, um, uh, Hezbollah has capabilities that other terrorist groups in the region don't have because um, there, are, there are people who have been inspired by uh, ISIS and by Al Qaeda, but who are not directly connected to the membership of these terrorist groups. In other words, in America, we have had lone wolves um, but it's been hard to prove that they have been actual members or how close they are to the, to the uh, inside of ISIS and Al-Qaeda. I mean, of course, not counting um, 9-11, of course, but they have been inspired by ISIS and Al-Qaeda. Now, Hezbollah um, has an expansive international network that would allow the group to use its operatives to carry out an attack in the United States. In other words, um, basically what they're saying is that, that basically that there are Hezbollah s- s- cells in America already. Um, I mean, there are all kind. there's ISIS, there's Al-Qaeda, there's Hezbollah. They're all coming in through various means, but the most, the easiest is the Southern border. And they have, as I've talked about before, they have in fact um, found, uh, caught and and released, catch and release, terrorists um, who are on the, the American terrorist watch list. So we know they're a terrorist already in America and that have been, who have been coming in since Biden um, has been in office. I mean, they've been sneaking in a little bit before that but not in significant numbers like they are now. Now, okay, so that's the scary part. And now here is, I don't know really how, I mean, comforting in a sense that unfortunately, especially through social media um, and because they are, they want to believe this, a lot of people are refusing to believe that uh, even though there have been videos and photos and all of that um, on social media uh, from Israel showing the, well, I guess we're back to barbarism, showing the barbaric way that Hamas invaded Israel and what they did to Israelis um, but a lot of people still don't want to believe it you know they say that these the pictures were photoshopped and the videos you know were edited and all of that I mean you know if somebody wants to be wants to be against Israel they'll say these kinds of things however Israel has done something to um, to try to correct this um, they have created a website a new website, and in its first week, it had 43 million viewers. Now, um, there's a word in Hebrew called Hasbara, which means the explaining. And what that is is um, explain where Israel wants to explain to the world why Israel does what it does because, you know, <laughs> apparently they have to because people, people want to question, don't want to believe. Uh, their eyes. So um, for decades, Israelis have worried about um, getting people to understand what Israel is all about and why why it does what it does and what is really happening and so, so on. And now the October seventh attack um, in Israel and the uh, the campaign in Gaza to uproot Hamas terrorists you know, has caused people to um, disparage Israel and not believe their eyes and that kind of thing all the more than in the past. Now, um, so after October 7th, you know, first everybody, there was shock and awe, right? At first, everybody was shocked. Some people thought it was terrible. Some people rose up pro-Hamas and pro-Palestine. But um, to some degree, uh, the shock of how horrible the attack was has worn off. Now um, there are pro-Palestinian marches in in all over the world. Like I was saying, London, Paris, Rome, Berlin, Montreal, Toronto, New York, and Los Angeles. And I mentioned um, in one of my prior uh, podcasts about how the irony that uh, that the in, the protesters even had the the gall to um, protest. Uh, at the World Trade Center, you know, ground zero. Um, and they are demanding an immediate end to the Gaza war. And that would mean that there was still a sufficient number of Hamas um, soldiers and who were still standing. So um, they want they want Israel to be declared guilty of war crimes, crimes against humanity uh, by the International Court of Justice. I mean it has I I'll be honest I have been shocked at um at how it seemed like overnight there were all these people who revealed their hatred for Israel and for Jews. And it's not because of Israel Israel trying to protect itself in Gaza and trying to kill unashamedly um Hamas but it obviously was there before October 7th. So um So there are people coming out and talking on behalf of Israel and explaining, you know, the situation, but Palestinians and their supporters, the media has been giving more airtime to pro-Palestinian and pro-Hamas protesters, which is, again, crazy. You would think the media would realize we shouldn't be pro-terrorists, you know. Ah, this country has gone upside down. Um, so, um, so they have been all these pro-Palestinians, pro-Hamas have been all over the airwaves, and they have been and and social media, and they've been calling Israelis uh, wicked and wanton killers of women and children. And they pull figures out of the air about how many wounded and killed Gazan civilians there are they just make up these numbers. And the media doesn't question these numbers. And on social media, of course, they can write whatever they want. And then that becomes part of the narrative that everyone, in single quotes, um, accepts. So like, for example, they talked about um, that there were at least 25,000 dead Gazans. Uh, and this was according to the Hamas-controlled Ministry of Health. Now there's no way to verify that. <clears throat> um, uh, and, and yes, there were at least, according to the IDF, Israeli force, you know, they say that at least 9,000 of those killed were um, Hamas fighters. So the ratio of civilian to combatant deaths of Palestinians is 16 to 9, 16 civilians to 9 um, Hamas fighters. Now, you may think that that's a lot. But that is not well. First of all, you know, Hamas hides in all in school, under schools and under hospitals. They hide their leaders, they hide their weapons, and so on. Israel has done everything possible and more than any other country to protect the civilians. So, um, tip the other the usual numbers of civilians to um, to combatants is um, like in all the wars since World War II, the civilian to combatant ratio has been 9 to 1 so here we have um 9 to 1 so it's 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 much better for what israel has been doing and i'm not saying that it's great that um that any civilians have been killed but this is israel is fighting for its life, literally fighting for its life and they are trying to to um to kill hamas um And then, oh, yeah, and then Gazans, I mean, the um, Hamas says not only that there are 25,000 civilians that Israel has killed, but that they were mostly women and children. I mean, this is just made up stuff. So, um, so what Israel has done, and I have looked at it, I'll give I'll tell you this at the very end, because I don't want you to, <laughs> I don't want you to, Just we're almost at the end of the podcast, but I don't want you to go right to this, but I'm gonna tell you about a website that Israel created where you can see for yourself the truth. So early in the war, Israel didn't want to release to the public videos of the Hamas atrocities at the music festival or especially at the kibbutzim, you know. Um, What they did do was there was a 47 minute video of clips taken by Hamas operatives themselves. Hamas, as you may know, when they, when they attacked Israel, they, a lot of them, all of them had cameras, um, either either um, photo cameras or their cell phones or whatever, or, or video, and they took that. So Israel at first showed their, their um, video clips to heads of governments, international organizations, ministers of foreign affairs, lawmakers in the US, uh, the House and the Senate, and, um, and the and journalists, very carefully selected journalists, not journalists who were just going to lie, even after they saw this. But then it has become clear that the public need, has also has a need to know, because too many people have been falling for Hamas propaganda that these atrocities never took place or that if they did take place, that it was the IDF itself that was responsible. An example of that is the hospital that was bombed by, it turned out by Hamas, not by, or another terrorist group, not by Israel, but Hamas um, claimed to the media that it was Israel. So they decided to release these videos. And um, in order to show just anybody actually online, um, what, and and it describes um, it describes who the picture, who took the pictures. There are photos, and there are videos. And it describes where these came from. Some of them are from the IDF, Israeli Defense um, force, and some of them are from um, Hamas, you know, who was who were wearing these things on their on their heads that were taking videos. Um they are awful. They are, I I watched uh, some amount before I was too nauseous to continue. There's a warning on it that says extreme viewer discretion is advised. And that is true. Certainly don't don't let any children see this or anybody who has any kind of, like if you're already depressed or already anxious about what you've already heard about what's going on, you probably shouldn't watch this, but perhaps you have someone, a friend or a family member who has a little stronger stomach who could watch it and tell you what what it shows. Anyhow, the website is saturday-october-7.com It's https colon slash slash saturday dash october dash seven dot com and I do think that um if you can if you're up to it or if you know somebody who is up to it, take a look. you don't have to watch everything it it divides it into certain categories so you can choose you don't have to watch everything it it is it is awful and Israel certainly you know they didn't really want to do this because they um, out of respect for the people who, who's, whose relatives they they were, you know, um, but they only did this when it became clear that there were still people that the propaganda that Hamas was putting out was being accepted um, and received by more people than, uh, and, and believed, you know, that it was, that Hamas didn't do such bad things or is, Israel is doing worse or whatever. Um, and so so they they reluctantly um had to do it so um i don't have anything more to say this was kind of (laughs) kind of exhausting it was a lot i know even this podcast was a lot um from the barbarism to this barbarism um i mean it's hamas barbarism from beginning to end basically but we need to know about it again we need to elect people uh, demand people who we elect that they, that they, first of all, uh, ma- maintain their allied stance with Israel and that they, uh, do more not only, you know, to protect Israel, but to protect America. As I said, um, and as the title of this podcast is terrorists and Sharia law are closer than you think. Thank you for listening to the terrorist therapist show. I'm Dr. Kara Lieberman your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.